from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZON, Oleander Public Radio. Our recording. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos. That's right, Gretchen and Dave, to my virtual right. We just hit the ground running as soon as Dave said we're recording. So how's how's the world of uh, Dave and Gretchen these days? Uh, well, so, Go ahead, Dave. No, so we have what is called lineal appraisal, okay. which is a goat beauty contest. All right. So we got to get all the goats looking all good and all their their hooves trimmed and uh, you know make sure that they have their ear tattoos. Mm-hmm. And apparently the American Association of Dairy Goats doesn't like temporary rub-on tattoos. So okay, and and they all don't right. like little like uh, uh, born to ride tattoos. <laughs> My friend has a kid who's got um, bunnies in, um, uh, what is it, 4-H club, uh-huh. and the bunnies all have tattooed ears, but you can get whatever kind of random thing. It's just they just have to have a certain, like, I think a number, amount of letters or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And one of the rabbits is LOL. One of the rabbits is, uh-huh. like, BRB, that kind of thing. <laughs> and the kid gets a big kick out of it because the judge is very serious and staunch when they read it. They're like, rabbit, primrose, LOL. Mm. Very staunch. But no, I haven't been doing much myself. I'm just been, I went to the Ren Fair last weekend and it was very, very dusty. I went on Saturday. So it was the only day that was actually nice of the Ren Fairs. I think that like they were all like plagued by weather problems. But the one I went to was, I mean, it was super dusty that day, but I was there for the the Cirque du Sewer to see the cats and rats do their stunts. And they did them all really well this time. Wow. Last Very time I cool. saw them, it was raining. And so the cats didn't want to go on stage and the rats didn't finish their tricks. So uh. this was flipping cool to see her put a cat on her head and then juggle knives. It was amazing. Well, that's so pretty just cool. Real quickly, it was the woman that was juggling knives or was it the cat? The woman was juggling nice. The cat's name was Sputnik, and he was sitting on top of her head. That's oh. pretty cool. And her I, cat I was, had he meow. He did tricks. He would <laughs> jump through hoops. But if he could juggle knives and she could juggle knives, 
That'd be so cool. That'd be pretty cool. That would be epic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, I was at Geekcraft at the Oregon Convention Center right uh, selling my 3D printed wares and guitars and et cetera. And I can can I, I was I was going to be working on projects and various things and doing all kinds of stuff with all my free time because the family's at Disneyland and I I I contracted con crud and just <laughs> under the weather for a couple of days. And it just was like, uh, it's like I didn't even drink. This is what the hell. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. If you drank, maybe it would have poisoned the crud. Right. You would have killed the con crud. Well, they didn't have a bar open. That's how I normally kill Concrud is by, you know, several Bloody Marys. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't do that because they're like, oh, it's just geek craft. It's just in this small little thing. We don't need to open up a bar. You know, the alcoholics can handle it. And it's like, no, apparently they can't. No, right. I was fine. But I did get Concrud and uh, just kind of hung out on the couch for a week uh, watching true crime, uh, watching... Uh, Woody Harrelson as uh, E. Howard Hunt in a, a, a docu-drama comedy about the White House plumbers. Uh, a lot of true crime. A lot of mm. interesting stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> I was so sick I couldn't play video games. And that bummed me. Yeah. So... Uh, I may die I, from all the freaking cottonwood that's in the air right now. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to kill me dead. Gretchen, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about uh, Shadel Miel. Shadel sure. Miel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you because you're the only one that can pronounce it. Shadel Miel, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or Shai Halud. That works too. <laughs> Shai Halud. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Dave, uh, do we have a middle part for the show? So we Sunday. will be discussing strange and mysterious aliens that people say okay. they've seen that are not greys, not okay. reptilians, and not nords. Oh, wow. And and, and then, then we're going to be talking about my favorite movie since I was nine years old. <laughs> uh, Alan Smith's Dune. <laughs> David Lynch's Dune, but I like the Alan Smithy version better. <laughs> okay. I it's, love it's, Dune. It's like the five-hour version one that they show on Chicago and uh, uh, whatever the Chicago channel was on basic cable. It'd be like a two-night extravaganza. WUSA? Or... Oh, no, no. It was uh, um, whatever the like Chicago channel is. Uh, Ken Heights, like what do you mean you don't know what the Chicago channel is? It's uh, WGN or something like WGN, that? WGN, thank okay. you, yeah. Yeah, okay, I remember that. I remember that. It was like Chicago, it was weird because back then cable was, if you had other states, it was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But Dune, man, Dune's an incredible film. It's one of my favorites. Dune, yeah, no, I remember Dune being crapped on like forever. Still is crapped on by a lot of people, but... A lot more people are now seeing it for what it is and being like, yeah, no, it wasn't that bad. It just Different. wasn't marketed well, and it wasn't Star Wars, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. How can you mock shirtless thing? I know. Right? <laughs> oh, fight. 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, first we are talking about Miel uh, or Shudmel, or whatever you want to call this, this uh, uh, big worm boy. Yeah, this is um this is one's kind of a new one to me. I mean, I sent you guys messages today about it because I had never heard of this and then heard of the like the fact that it's like the the progenitor to the Cthuni Cthonians. Cthonians, yeah. Yeah. So is this a I I is this like more of a a role playing game version or what's the I mean unfortunately this is actually like totally out of my wheelhouse of knowledge like no sweat no sweat okay so first created some of these, by some of these Cthulhu mythos we pick are very very obscure, obscure. yeah yeah that's that's why we do it yeah uh, Brian Lumley created yeah. uh de Miel for a short story I believe called yeah. uh uh, Cement Surroundings, which Cement first surroundings. appeared in Arkham House's The Tale of the Cthulhu Mythos and was later incorporated into Lumley's first novel, The Burrowers Beneath. Which is also the first Titus Crow novel. Yes, yeah. But I, I know virtually little about Titus Crow, so um, when we get to that, Titus yeah, Crow, well, uh, Dave, you can tell it, us all about Titus Crow. Imagine, uh, we'll talk about it, but imagine if Randolph Carter was cool. Oh. Oh, okay. I might like Titus Crow then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, I mean, so are these, where, okay, when Lovecraft created Cthulhu, did Lovecraft think of Cthulhu having a progenitor like this? Or... I I Is this all an invention of like modern, I mean, modern being like the 1960s, but like modern um, invention of like the furthering of the mythos? I think it's the furthering of the mythos. The further we go into it, we can look back at all of it and put pieces together and make things make sense and uh, gametize everything. But yeah, I don't believe Cthulhu was meant to be anything other than a big, scary cosmic monster that we're not truly supposed to understand. Right, because it has no ending, has no beginning. It's like it is it is this it is this monster, this yeah. unfathomable thing. So it's hard for me to imagine like Shade Mia like coming out of like the Ethiopian um deserts and being it's the progenitor of like Cthulhu because I guess because even though my mortal brain wraps around the idea that this is all like a desert area, maybe Ethiopia back in the day was underwater for all I oh, know. Oh, oh, Cthulhuan uh, just means like, Cthulhuan is just like Greek for underground. Yeah. And, oh. uh, the Cthonians are a race of snake worm gray things with tentacles. They're just like See, tiny I'm versions. totally ignorant. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're just like, um, like, it's it's like this is not uh, Cthulhu's progenitor. No, 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 no. It's it's progeny are like pretty much like um, graboids from Tremors. Oh, see now that I can wrap my mind around. It itself is more like um, Shai Hulud, and mm. its babies are like uh, the Tremor uh, graboids. Yeah. Rad. Okay. But not like the Tremors ass blasters or <laughs> yeah. other graboid subspecies. 
<laughs> from the uh, sequent films in the Tremors yeah. series. Yeah. And like Dagon and, you know, the Deep Ones, yes. he may not even be a deity. He may just be the biggest, baddest one of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, I and, see. And so Lumley didn't create the word Chthonia. No. It was actually a very not understood underground death deities, a group of, in I believe, Greek, maybe Roman mythology. Yeah. So he, he did take the term from, from mythology. So the Correct. term Gathonians is a mythological, like a, like a, is actually a, a, a real term. Yeah. It's not a made up one. No. Correct. Ah. But, uh, should metal or whatever it's pronounced, as far as I know, is something he made up. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Googling. <laughs> yeah. Chthonian, Chthonic deities. Okay, okay. I just, you just opened up a whole new um, interest for me. <laughs> All kinds of cool stuff, yeah. Yeah, of like Greek mythos. That's, um, that's interesting. I don't know a whole lot about Greek mythology other than like, you know, the standard stuff that everybody else knows. Yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at too. But I'm like, yeah, okay, there was some dogs, some gods, they did some Greek things. You know, there was the 300. <laughs> <laughs> Sparta, you know, we got this. So, Dave, what can you tell us about uh, Shud uh, Mail as like not 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 as how he was created but like uh i'm giving him history. like an israeli like hebrew word like, i don't know why my mouth is like trying to make it <laughs> yeah yeah no no for me it's like should <laughs> you know i can I, I i could imagine a bunch of cultists surrounding a whole shouting should they in 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 uh rhyme and uh then like they all get swallowed up because they think it's just this tiny hole that it's going to come out of or not tiny hole, but like this 30 foot diameter hole. But it's actually like, uh, oh, like layer of the white worm. Yeah, it just yeah. Is this massive thing that just engulfs everything. But anyway, that's just my brain working. Um, Dave, what can you tell us about this? This this guy, this 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 the, snaky worm the, boy. The upstart humans tried to kill it. Oh, yeah. how and dare. So and this um, was, I'm pretty sure, and it's been over a decade since I've read uh, Burrowers Beneath, but I don't think it told that story, but it mentions that story. Okay. So the Wellmouth Foundation decides they're going to get together and they're going to try to poison it with radioactives. Oh, uh, and they're going to drill this big old hole and, and it wipes out a bunch of its children, but it doesn't kill it. And then they go, well, maybe we can't kill a God. And so my first experience actually was, um, in a, uh, chaosium, um, uh, adventure, uh, which had, uh, you know, the Catharians and what they had in that adventure was elder signs, but they were made out of uranium. Oh, and that would drive the, the, the Chthonians away. Okay. Interesting. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool, like, um, uh, like game device, like MacGuffin to have. Oh, yeah. And, and so Lumley is, comes up, 
the the elder sign was there and it talks about trapping them but Lumley kind of in bar, uh, Burrows Beneath kind of explains why it works. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In this one, and again, we get into this huge debate. I don't think Lovecraft saw this as this battle versus good versus evil that Daryl yeah. uh-huh. saw. But in Lumley's work, the Elder Gods are the good guys. And what they've done is that they've, in Cthulhu and Chardonnay, they put something in their mind that makes them affected by the elder sign. Okay. And that's why it works. And it becomes, you know, again, like Ken Height says, like crucifix, but Lumley sort of takes this idea and runs with it. And we're going to see it in a lot of the Titus Crow stories. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of um, RPGs. But yeah. I had read a small blurb here and there, reading, looking up information about this um, particular character. Lumley wasn't super well received, uh, from what I somebody like somebody's actual like thumbnail was like, "This is the hollow um, version of Lovecraft's work." I was like, "Ouch!" Yeah. Is that? I mean, is that the consensus? Uh, you you okay? Game designers want to cherry pick Lumley's writings. Um, cause there's stuff that they like and that works with other aspects that they've cherry picked, um, as comparing Lumley to other writers, I want to compare Lumley to August Derleth as a Lovecraftian writer, as in like, Hey, thanks for being there. Thanks for putting in the work. Glad you're here. Um, that's definitely Lovecraftian, but it's not what I'm looking for. I'm not going to poop on it. I'm not going to be like, there's too much military stuff. There's a whole bunch of smooching in it. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to do any of that. But it's it's like, I you know, I, I like my Lovecraftian horror kind of dry. And um, like even Byron Craft is a little bit too colorful for me when it comes to like Lovecraftian uh, horror. But that's not a dig at Byron Craft. It's just like he uses a lot of military stuff in parts and is kind of like goes from like, pulp horror to like modern espionage stuff and like the drop of a hat but oh yeah 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 i could see i could see what you mean by that like um that would i would that would uh, that sounds no fun to me it's like total shifts like that are too much for me and like uh going from reading like just classic lovecraftian horror and some more modern stuff that just kind of like is kind of with that pacing and then mm-hmm. going with Lumley's pacing, which is more of a modern, like military espionage kind of like feel to it. Mm-hmm. But you add Lovecraftian and like classical, like pulp elements to it. And it's fun and it's cool, but it's not my flavor. Mm. And, and and to his defense, you know, Lumley did serve, you know, in the English military for over two decades. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I see. So, but I mean, I see that happening with a lot of different types of genres. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, like let's we'll just like randomly pick one. Um, Dog Soldiers. It's a werewolf film. Great yeah. film. Um, it's but other ones that have tried to mimic that with like the military interests are not always the best. Yeah. And I see what you mean. Like that would that would start to lose the. I don't know. The, there's just like a certain feel that you kind of expect from like Lovecraft's work and from like their um, his deities and all that, that yeah. that this seems to have this seems I mean, for lack of a better term, this is alien from his other stuff. Yeah. But like, 
I feel yeah. like this is definitely a departure of his work and less in the Lovecraftian aspect, except for the fact that it's like eldritch in nature, I suppose. Yeah. And, 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 so- and Lumley's kind of like, we know where the bastards are. We know how to deal with them. We're going to go deal with it. And, you know, Lovecraft is like, there's a cave with a spooky worm in it, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and if it's uh, Clark Ashton Smith, there's a beautiful cave with a uh, beautiful worm with beautiful walls and beautiful, you know. <laughs> and, and then it's like Robert E. Howard is like, I punched a worm in a fucking cave. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a hot chick in there wearing a chainmail bikini. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going. I'm going to sort of go out on the end here. Sure. Yeah. I thought for what it was, Burrowers Beneath, which he takes the title from a book that's found by, um, oh, and uh, by the reporter in Hunter in the Dark. Yes. Oh, okay. So I thought he knew Lovecraft better than most people in oh, the yeah. 60s and 70s. Was he influenced by Derelith? Absolutely. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, it's it's like he uses uh, Derleth's concept, uh, Derleth's, uh, uh, um, I don't know what to call it. Um, tropes. Yeah, tropes and tropes. kind of even like, uh, hierarchical like heavens and stuff like that about like who are the elder things and what are the great Absolutely. old ones and stuff like that. It's very the kind of Earthian heresies. Yeah, yeah. But that said, I thought Burrowers Beneath, and again, it's been over twelve years since I've read it, yeah. was a good add to the Cthulhu Mythos canon. Oh yeah, yeah. The next definitely. one though, the transition of Titus Crow. I thought was closer to 1930s Flash Gordon than Lovecraft. Okay. As he's traveling through the universe and he's riding with the princess on the dragon and parts of his body gets replaced by robots. So I thought Burrowers Beneath was, yes, it was going in a different direction, but I don't think it was completely different. Yeah. And that, well, and, and Lumley is not most famous his 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 biggest most biggest selling works is not his Lovecraft stuff. It's his vampire stuff. I, yeah, I haven't read that, like Vampire Werewolf Necroscope. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Necroscope. That, I saw that when I saw the name Necroscope pop up. I'm like, I remember people reading that book. I remember um, the, it had a cool book cover and yeah, like the, totally the books in the series or something like that. But yeah, and I looked it up I, I think i remember reading a little bit and it's like sci-fi vampires i'm like man that's not for me <laughs> yeah, I, I had friends it was their favorite favorite not just favorite horror book it was their favorite book ever yeah wow i mean i don't know much about it other than i just remember that aspect of it yeah it's, or people if, if uh people were doing stuff with vampires people would always be like do you know have you have you read necroscope and everyone would be like what now i've seen the cover or something like that and it's like oh never mind it's like okay well all right. It'd take too long to explain. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> I think back then my like sci-fi reach was mainly like, was like some Lovecraft. And then uh, mostly like, I was really into Philip K. Dick for a long time. Like oh, very, okay. very into his work, especially very like cool. reach branching into college. <laughs> cool. But, very cool. As we all were. Oh, yeah. Right. 
right? I mean, philosophical, crazy as hell, cool stuff. I was exposed to Philip K. Dick far too early that I should have. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, um, let's let's talk about some wormy guys a little bit more. Um, these uh, Shad Mael, Shad Mael, yeah. Know. So apparently, lives in Africa. Uh, is held there by some sort of star stone. Which are the uh, elder signs. Let, let, yeah. Let's call them what they are. They, he doesn't use the word, but they're elder. They're they're the elder sign on a baseball. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, uh, we haven't really talked. I mean, we're 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 in the wrong part of the alphabet, but I know we talked about Cathoans a long time ago. That's where I joined. Oh yeah, that was before I joined. Uh, <laughs> it was just me and a goat, nah. Was that you? Was it, was that way back back in the days? Was it just you, Dave? Uh, Dave and a goat. That's you know back back in the early nineties. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Burrows Beneath is a title from Robert Blake's short story, uh, "The Haunter in the Dark," which became the inspiration for Cathoans. Is um, so Robert. The guy based off Robert Block in Haunters in the Dark, which we just talked about just the other week, wrote a story called Burrowers Beneath that we're now talking about the creatures that were in that story that Brian Lumley actually wrote the book for because it was fictional. Which takes place, though, it takes place in the late 60s, so it couldn't have been the book that Blake wrote. Uh, who knows? Blake could have written about the future. I mean, Robert W. Chambers wrote about the early 20s in the uh, late 19th century. Yes. <laughs> but we won't see. Okay. I concede hmm. my point. But, but so it's not supposed to be. So it's not supposed to be the Blake story. The title is just the same. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Okay. So, yeah, they're just like big tentacly worms. I mean, just like, just, just, just Grabbers. like, yeah. It's not, not much else to go on with this. It's just, uh. The, the other thing is, is the, yeah, Chaosium just took them and ran with them. Oh, they're and so I, cool. I could yeah, see them uh, being a really good, like, like, um, like monster to fight. Yeah. Absolutely. They look yeah. really cool. They have, um, they burrow, you know, you could probably, they probably have more movements per action. You never know. I mean, I don't know. And, and there's and various can, sizes of them. So you could have like a small one and then like have a mini boss and be like, whoa, that one's huge. And then like, you know, later on you run into a bunch of them that were the mini bosses and going like, oh, geez, this is what they're always like. Just like and, and They have yeah. psychic power so they can make you not leave the room. Until oh. they grab you. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's also a thing. I always forget about that. Yes. So Telepathy. they're they're all te they're telepathic. Heat projection. High speed tunneling. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked up their powers and abilities. I mean, some damn powerful Pokemon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh wait, yeah. There's like a Pokemon that looked like that. What is that Pokemon called? 
Oh, mm. I don't know. One that looks like the, like the Nautilus shell on it type looking mm-hmm. one. I don't freaking know. You're talking to somebody who does not play Pokemon. That's all right. Okay. I like the ghosts. I mean, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so up next, uh, Dave's going to be talking about some strange aliens. And we're going to be talking about Dune after that. After the break. All right. Um, moving on to the next part. Just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed. If you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube where this episode will be. And uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Everybody, it's me, Farmer Dave, and uh, it's just you and me, and we're going to talk a little bit of things. So uh, I figured, why don't we just maybe, why don't you share something with me? Really? Honestly? You like DB and Gretchen more than you like me? That's just harsh. I mean, harsh realms harsh. Nah, it's okay. Everybody likes them more than they like me. Okay, so uh, let me choose the subject. So I want you guys to, let's do a thought experiment. I want you guys to think in your mind, imagine you see a UFO. Probably disc-shaped, maybe a black triangle. Uh, But, you know, a UFO. Now it lands and alien creatures come out. What do those aliens look like? Unless you're going to quote, like, Vulcans or describe, you know, Wookiees, more than likely you're going to pick greys. Small to large, usually naked, gray-skinned aliens with large black eyes. That is the pop culture icon that is basically burned into our imagination of what aliens look like, whether you believe in them or not pretty much has been since Close Encounters of the Third Kind. When you hear someone is claiming to have seen an alien being, most cases that is what your mind's going to jump to. 
And to some degree, that is what is socially acceptable. To a small degree, certain amounts of accepted paranormal events are culturally accepted. And I'll give you a couple examples before I jump into aliens. If someone tells you that, you know, they saw a rocking chair move, or they were at their grandmother's funeral, and out of the corner of their eyes they saw their grandmother's spirit, that's okay. That Even if you don't believe in the supernatural or a ghost, you don't look at that person as crazy. At the most, you're sympathetic towards them, that they are a grieving, grieving individual who, you know, their mind manifests the, the love they still have for the grandparents. You don't think they're crazy. Now, somebody comes in and says, you know, Casper the friendly ghost or this full-on demon started talking to him, maybe you're going to begin to wonder. Same thing, if someone says, you know, I was feeling bad or I had a minor injury or something bad happened to my family and I prayed and I felt better or the situation got better, more power to them. You could be an atheist and still socially accept that they had an experience, they were in a bad situation, it got better, and they attribute it to prayer. But someone says, I saw God. Well, then you begin to wonder. You begin to question. Someone tells you, hey, I saw something in the sky. I didn't recognize it. It didn't look like a plane or a bird. It was something weird. Okay, sure, that happens to me too. If they say they were encountered an alien, then, you know, maybe you question, especially if you don't believe in aliens. But you begin to, but they describe the alien as this small gray creature with a big head and large black eyes. And at least you know what they're talking about. You accept it as part of the cultural site. But if they describe something that doesn't quite fit into either this gray or reptilian or human-looking Nordic creatures, there's some resistance and pushback, even from ufologists. So we're going to talk a little bit about the high weirdness cases, the aliens which looked different or reported and looked different and we're also going to discuss how most of if not all of these were one-offs that they were never really seen again does that mean that it wasn't true does that damage the reliability of the witness i don't know even from a cultural aspect i'm not sure i just know that you don't see, you know, the Flatwood Monster. Well, maybe I see Flatwood Monster on people's bumper stickers or uh, or the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin in, you know, things like lunchboxes. They did not become the icon that the Greys, and to a lesser extent the Nords, and the Reptilians did. So before we go too far... We have to have basically this classic debate that I've had several people who and who've discussed with me, and they've been extremely passionate one side or the other. And this is, would aliens look like you and me? Now, I mean, not necessarily 
just like a homo sapien. I mean, bipedal, uh, eyes, ears, head on the top of their body. And many people are extremely passionate that no, if there was something that was an intelligent life form in other planets, it would not look like us. It would be truly alien. And we see Lovecraft expressing this in his writings, you know, in the 20s and the 30s, where we see creatures like the Elder Thing or uh, the Shoggoth, things that are distinctively not human or humanoid, and that he openly mocks the science fiction tropes of the little green men or uh, aliens that look like humans, only slightly different. In the 80s, the idea that aliens would be truly alien is going to be championed by Carl Sagan. And I know quite a few people that are very passionate on this. But to some extent, the pendulum has swung. And it is the thought that, yes, in weird sort of space situations, such as, you know, the moon of Saturn, Titan, or Mercury, or planets like that in other galaxies or other solar systems, yes, intelligent life could evolve different from us. But in worlds that are like Earth, what uh, astronomers call the Goldilocks worlds, where there's a situation where there can be liquid water, things aren't boiling over, where there could be land, uh, and Earth-like environments, why would evolution be different in space on an Earth-like world than it is here? Now, we are, can assume what we're talking about intelligent life form that's capable, if it is capable at all, reaching distant planets. That makes them tool users. You know, there could be a planet where where evolution starts on dry land. But for sake of argument, let's assume that on these other planets, just like Earth, evolution life started in the waters, the oceans, and then came ashore. So these creatures that are going to evolve into intelligent, tool-using, and possibly intergalactic traveling creatures are going to more than likely be shaped by predators, just as Homo sapiens were shaped, evolution was shaped by predators. So that gives them an extinct advantage of being able to, you know, be bipedal, to be able to climb on trees to get away from them, to have hands where you could use tools, where you have a head above your body with eyes, with a neck that can turn, look other ways, and, you know, two sets of eyes that would give you, you know, binocular vision. Now, not necessarily like us with hair or size or skin color or scales or texture, but there is a argument that I think is much more accepted than it was, say, 
when Lovecraft or Sagan were having these debates, that aliens have to be truly alien. Now, I'm not saying that I believe in greys, but I think that it is possible that life form like them evolved on another planet because life forms like you and me evolved on this planet. There is also an adjunct to the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis that the true aliens really are these supernatural beings that are so above us as we are above ants and that they are so above us that it's almost impossible for them to interact with us. So they created a minion, a server race, an intermediary, and that that is what the greys are. I'm not saying that I particularly believe these sightings, but I do think that it is possible that maybe the answer, and I very few people who I hear this saying in this debate, you know, do aliens, intelligent aliens, are they hominids and like us, or are they truly alien? Well, the answer could legitimately be both, but that maybe there's more argument that they would be more akin to at least looking like us than not looking like us if they are going to be evolved into advanced tool users in a Earth-like environment. I'm looking at you, Klingons and Twi'leks. So, in part two of this, I'm going to go over some very specific cases, interesting cases of aliens that are reported to be real that don't look like the greys. But I think in part of this preliminary part, we kind of have to discuss the watershed case that is going to bring the greys into our, you know, cultural consciousness. And the pop culture event first that brought, you know, greys into their predominance, of course, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They had been reported a long time before. They had been in movies and TV shows a long time before. But the UFO case that's going to make the grade sort of public knowledge is going to be Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, recently, I was at my local comic book uh, store, and their Dark Horse is now doing a new Project Blue Book comic. And I looked on the cover... And who should I see? I recognize the drawing of an African-American in a old car and a, a white woman behind him. And I go, hello, Betty and Barney Hill. So there's a lot, and I've written a lot before on, on this case. But real quickly, on September 19th, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were driving back from a vacation in Niagara Falls. And they saw something, or they claimed to have seen something. It started out as a bright light. It then appeared to be a saucer-shaped uh, vehicle with small humanoid creatures looking out large you know, windows at them. And then they were plagued by nightmares. And they went to a psychiatrist who, as part of their therapy, 
basically regressed them in hypnosis, and they basically told the same story about how they were captured, abducted by these aliens, and then they were taken on their ship. This is going to be written up in a book called Interrupted Journey, which is going to be a relatively smash success. It's going to be made into a movie starring James Earl Jones. Well, made for TV movie, but what the heck, it's James Earl Jones. Now, this is not going to be the first, like, a gray, like, alien in pop culture. And in fact, about this time, there's going to be a Outer Limits episode where the aliens were these gray creatures. When confronted about this, Barney said he had not seen the episode, but he had probably seen the aliens in the commercials. Now, though in the movie, and in most cases now, these aliens are pretty much your stereotypical what be, we are now known as the Greys. However, there were some differences, which, for lack of a better word, get pruned out of the story, and which is not sort of meshing with what we think of Greys are. And that is that the aliens that they claimed abducted them looked a lot like greys. But greys, you know, traditionally do not have a nose. These had very large carrot-like... Well, at least first, when the, when the memories, and again, you can't see that I'm doing air quotes. I mean, I definitely believe something happened to them. I'm not sure that Benny and Barney Hill actually were on, on board a, a flying saucer. But... When they first had these dreams and memories, uh, the aliens had large noses. In fact, Betty describes it as uh, Jimmy Durante knows. You know, Jimmy Durante was, of course, uh, an early 40s, 50s performer known for such having a, a large nose, uh, as well as hair. And in fact, what is going to be left out of Barney's story quite often is that he felt the aliens wore basically Nazi-like uniforms. And remember, Barney Hill is a World War II veteran. So would something that scares him, would he perceive it as wearing a uniform of people who tried to kill him, people who hate him for the color of his skin? Possibly. But eventually, through hypnosis, we get down more to the description of a traditional gray. Um, including pictures, photographs of Betty holding a picture of one of the creatures, you know, in her hand that she drew. So this has kind of been the preliminary part of part one. And part two, then, what about these aliens that don't quite match our stereotypical view of what a alien should look like? And some famous cases about them, and possibly why do these seem to be one-offs? Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, 
They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. I watch Dune every day, or not every day. Like, growing up as a kid, I would watch Dune. I taped it off of TV. Oh, I'd wow. watch it all the time. I'd watch it when I pulled laundry. It it was it was like a movie that I've, I, I don't know how many times I've seen Dune. But, you know, in the beginning. <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm that guy. Uh-huh. I had read the book twice before the movie came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. So, are you ready? Yep. Do you know what Frank Herbert was? Where? Okay. What? Who did Frank Herbert work for when he was writing Dune? Oh, I'm sure the Department of like Ecology or something like that. The Oregonian. Oh, no kidding. Geez. He was a newspaper. So a lot of a lot of well, at least when he started, and he would go out to Florence, Oregon. And he that's where he got the idea of what Arachnus looks like. Okay. And the dunes and so yeah, he would sit there and, and write about the planet. Oh wow. Is Florence, Oregon, like high desert? I think it's on the coast. It's yeah, coastal. Okay. So yeah, interesting. That's really cool. Okay, that was that was that was the interesting trivia fact that I had. That's pretty but cool. Yeah, That's a, a pretty a cool one. I'm trying to imagine because I'm, I'm thinking of like how Arrakis is described in like in the books and like thinking about the coast. And I mean, 
I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down because it's like the, the way the coast is out here is so rugged and so like covered in these large sand dunes mm-hmm. and they're so like desolate. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I could totally see that. That's really cool. That's, I'm, that's a cool trivia knowledge. Thanks yeah. David. But so, I will tell you, you just came nope. to me. Yeah. Shudmel is a giant sandworm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. just came to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been making those jokes. All <laughs> of a sudden. Hey, come on. I, used to, I used to have a minister that would say, don't tell David a joke on Saturday night. He'd laugh in church. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> No, 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 man, it's all good. It's all good. I'm, I'm a noob, you know. Shoot, okay. Um, yeah, no, like I love Dune, man. Dune is amazing. Uh, also, other Pacific Northwest tie-ins: uh, Spokane's David Lynch and Yakima, Washington's uh, Kyle MacLachlan, both in Dune. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I mean, he he directed it. Well, he, he he's he's the uh, spicing guild guy who's like. Ah, we'll never get out of here in time. Ah, I'm covered oh, in dirt. Oh, that's right. Ah, my, they didn't do anything with my hair. I've got goggles. Ah. <laughs> I forgot that he had that like small little. He has cameo. that weird little cameo, but yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't pick it out because it's like it. I, I always get so kind of lost in the beautiful sets and things like that. Now I know. I know the other like the whole Jodorowsky one would have been or whatever. Yeah. Um, would have been great. Oh, Super yeah. cool. Um, with Mobius and all that stuff, like cool. But there is just some beauty in this movie that is just unmatched in other it, films. Oh my goodness. The art design, the art the deco. The dream soundtrack is so incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so the, I'm a heretic. Yeah. I like the sci-fi channel miniseries. Well, I mean, that series is pretty good. I mean, it was far as like getting the dirt down and dirty of getting the yeah. novel done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was meant to be more more book accurate and everything like that. And it had a Sci-Fi Channel budget, but yeah. I just grew up with Dune, and it's 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 like it's like I I, I understood what they were doing, and I was like, oh, that's a really cool take on the Ornicopter. Oh man, I really like how they do the the this and how they do that. And I'm like, nope. That's not Paul. Nope. That's not what the Duke like. Nope. It's. <laughs> I do like the actor they have playing Duke Leto. Um, uh, he's a really fantastic actor. I loved him in like um, the in the mountain mouth of madness. He was Sutter Kane. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so to me though, you know who stole the show? Whom? Patrick Stewart. Oh well, yeah. yeah. And, and because because we Gurney Howard has always been my favorite character anyway. Mm-hmm. Mood is a thing of cattle and love play. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no. Gurney Halleck has like the best lines, and it's like you can't tell how old Patrick Stewart is. He could be 70 or he could be 35 in this movie. You yeah. just I mean, we know what he looks like when he's old now, but like yeah. you had no idea how old Patrick Stewart was in these movies, and there's a couple other people like uh, Jose Ferrer who has has that kind of like look of like you don't know how old he is, and it's like Dean Stockwell also has kind of this like ageless yeah, look Stockwell about especially. 
And he's always been an old guy, like yeah. going into things. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah, who else is in this? Max von Sydow, who also is ageless. And, mm. and yeah. it's, it's, it's just this really cool group of character actors that David Lynch has used and people. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah. So many good, like, Jack, I love that he used Jack Nance. Like, okay, so I, like, heart Jack Nance. Like, yes. he's, I love him in Eraserhead. Um, I love him in Twin Peaks. There's a fish yes. in the percolator. Yeah. I love, love, love him. Um, the, his character playing the weird air instrument thing, that was, and then his always like every time you see him in a scene in the background, he's like, God, this just crazy, like wide eyed, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here kind of look. Yeah. He's so yeah. He's good. just like terrified about his heart plug getting pulled out or something. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. The heart plug thing. What? Okay. Okay. I don't remember that in the book. <laughs> it's not. It's a David Lynch thing. Uh, like, the kitty cat being milked. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all the all the weird Harkonnen stuff is like David Lynch, and like there's some Water of Life stuff that's all like David Lynch. Yeah, and, the that's and, the beginnings of his transcendental meditation stuff that he started to like kind of trickle down into his movies. Yes, and, and the words to weapons thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool in concept, though. I loved that personally. I I loved the weirding modules and the I mean, yeah. like the weirding way. I think was meant to be like a martial arts or something like that. But yeah. But I I loved the whole concept of sound into like force. That was just like, yeah. That's, well, there's that... cultures that use like um sound. As, I mean, like think about like as simple as like the New Zealand tribes. They use like sound and voice and um steps as um ways of conveying um emotion as well as like um like kind of a warning on the battlefield kind of thing yeah. that's kind of the vibe i always got from it the, the maori mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, but yeah i always think that's kind of a cool idea to use like um to for for words to have um weaponry to them yeah and if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, they're like, what the heck is Dune? Frank Herbert novel. novel. It's a movie based off of a Frank Herbert novel written in the 60s, 1965, 1984. It, it, all the people we've named, it's a space opera. It's a sci-fi film. Uh, one family is given permission to mine spice on a desert planet, and they're taking over after their rivals in a galactic house in an imperial empire i mean it's it's a galactic empire it's their one house i mean part of me feels like this could almost take place in the star wars universe if you change some things but also not, not, star not. wars is so derivative of dune it's not funny exactly <laughs> lucas loved dune yes and you know what the biggest biggest Shout out to Dune is. What's that? Han Solo is a spice pirate uh, smuggler. Oh he, yeah, he lifted yeah. that from Dune. He specifically chose it to be spice because because he loved Dune. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea. I also not a big Star Wars fan, so you know That's it right. is what it is. <laughs> that said, you, you know what science fiction? I think it comes the closest to. What's that? 
is uh, Azamoth's foundation. Ah, they're okay. they're both the only intelligent race are humans. Uh, this galactic empire. I mean, they go different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think that Herbert was probably influenced by Azamoth. But then again, who writing science fiction in the sixties and seventies was not influenced by Azamoth? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, we have this beautiful movie. It it took had 40 42 million dollar budget filmed on beautiful locations beautiful set design all these amazing uniforms the Bene Gesserit sisterhood with their headdresses and their gowns and cloaks the spicing guild navigators dressed like Depeche mode um <laughs> Like all of all of the uh, royal outfits, like everyone's dressed like a Habsburg, you know. Yeah. It's 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 crazy. It's 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 like galactic uh, imperial Europe, but if no, and, and you know we haven't discussed Sean Young. No, no, <laughs> she's amazing. I like Sean Young. Okay. Oh no, no, Sean Young's great. Just as long as you remember to cast her as Catwoman. Yes. <laughs> okay, she did go a little crazy. Yes. But, but you know. Yeah, no, Sean Young's great. Uh, I loved her in Dune. I loved her in Blade Runner. Anything I've seen her in, I've been like, she's awesome. I like Sean Young. But, um, but yeah, there's just so many characters from Twin Peaks that are in this. Right. Um, I mean, Stilgar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Stilgar, the head of the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood. Um, yeah, there's there's just like a lot Brother, of people. Reverend Mother Moheim or yes. Moheim. Moheim? Moheim. I can't remember how they pronounce it. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And I always imagine that Caladan, the homeworld of the, uh, the Atreides, is Oregon. It just looks like Oregon. <laughs> it probably was. Probably. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the you, you think about it where there's a scenes where he's um looking at the notes and there's a storm. Um, it's just ha- there's a these beautiful moments. Yeah, it's just like forest and torrential downpour and and it's just like really stunning. Um and it does have a little bit of that Lovecraftian character because he is so like removed from everything at that point before his whole life is about to change. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I do love the, um, the whole notion of the, I mean, spoiler alert, the Kleetsot Tadarak ends up being kind of this imperialistic, like form of control type thing later in the books. But like, yeah, I, um, I liked the idea of the Kleetsot Tadarak. I mean, yeah. I, I thought that was, kind of a cool retelling of the, I guess, the Jesus story, yeah. right? I mean, he's yeah. like a, it comes from the desert and he fucking saves everybody. He Ta-da! teaches us his ways and we teach him our, or he knows our ancient ways and teaches us the new way. Right? We do a training montage it... and then we beat the pale red-haired people. I've seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> In my ignorance... Yes, I think it is probably a Jesus, you know, reference and allergy. But uh-huh. I always thought Muhammad. 
if okay. Muhammad was an outsider. Oh, the only reason why I thought Jesus because of the red the red Catholic book that was important. Um, oh yeah, of the, yeah. Of the book. I'm, the I'm, I'm like Catholic? thinking of yeah. I, I'm thinking of so many movies that like use like post-apocalyptic movies or whatever it is where it's always like there's like an outsider who's like I'm a prince or whatever and, and I feel like it's all based off of Dune or it's based off of whatever Dune was you know in the back of Frank Herbert's head well, like, it's a repeating story think about yeah. we got I mean more recently um the um the Matrix movies yeah yeah, and th there's absolutely, I think, a hero's journey here. But now yes. that we're talking about it, and this Herbert probably wasn't thinking about it, but if we're going to go religious figures, sure. take Hartha Gudamar, the Buddha. Here's okay. this guy oh, yeah. that comes from this, you know, well-to-do society, has never dealt with people, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden is thrust with people who are less fortunate than him. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, but I've never seen anything that... Herbert said that he was inspired by that, but yeah, I, I absolutely see that the hero's journey here. Maybe so, all main deities that have to um, go through a um, like a journey of this kind of sort. Yeah, like a, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm at a loss for the the right words for it. The monomyth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted that to talk being said. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk. I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, I wanted to talk a moment about the Bono myth and this movie because the fact that it's like uh, in this film when it's shown two separate nights, it's cut in half at a specific scene, and the newest movie is cut into two parts at the very same scene. Interesting. And it's like there's a difference from. Paul learning the voice and him and his mother being in the desert being like the end and like him going and becoming a Fremen is like the new beginning. It's like the next six parts of the 12 chunked wheel. If we're going to go with like your most basic yeah. uh, monomyth, your basic Campbellian wheel i don't i don't know if they even call the, that the stuff. belly the belly of the beast yeah but uh so yeah no meeting of the goddess shapeshift it's his mom and <laughs> then uh going into the magical territory learning all that he needs to know taking it with him back to the standard world where he uh you know whoops up the, on the atonement with the father yeah yeah uh, whoops up on his cousin and then kills his grandpa. Now, Campbell did exist. So I, I, I would be really surprised if, um, if Herbert had not read The Hero of a Thousand Faces. Sure, yeah, yeah. Or Lynch, for that matter. There's no reason that Lynch, you know, oh, Lynch... Sure. Uh, I can't imagine him not. Yeah, no. <laughs> But then again, I'm sure a lot of this came to David Lynch while he sat in a room smoking uh, American spirits, being like, just turn the light out. I'm meditating. <laughs> but yeah, um, weird parts about this movie, about uh, 
the uh, white savior saving a bunch of people who live in the desert, uh, century-long breeding programs, uh, super beings exposed to so many drugs, they're, they're, they're uh, no longer human. Um, yeah. True story. My kid was almost named Alia. Oh, okay. Oh. But I vetoed that name because I was like, oh. no, every nerd will recognize. <laughs> my, my cousin's named Ilea from Star Trek. And every nerd recognizes of a certain age, every nerd recognizes. That's why I was like, no, nope, Morgan's good. We're going to yeah. go with Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, despite all of the people involved, despite all of the time, all of the money, all the beautiful sets, all of the work and writing and um, Beautiful, beautiful paintings used as backdrops, uh, as uh, the matte paintings used in this film, and the music by Toto and Brian Eno, and everything else involved in this film. Is it Toto and Tangerine Dream, or is it Tan was it to Tangerine Dream was the original, and then it was became Toto? I think it's. Uh, I I just know that I, I've seen Toto in the credits forever. I I don't know. I would have to look. I think that was the original was supposed to be that it was going to be Tangerine Dream. That's why my brain was like, oh, yeah, Tangerine oh. Dream. Also, <laughs> because I was just looking at the Sorcerer um, record. Tangerine okay. Dream, the soundtrack for Sorcerer. Gotcha, Word. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And I, I think Tangerine Dream was going to be featured in uh, Jodorowsky's. Yeah. yeah. Ah, word, word. Okay. Sometimes I, like, I get them mixed up because there was... You know that it was so much. They were so like, for what they were, they were even though they were had very different um, kind of art styles being used. There were some yeah. similar um, vibes that were happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally, totally. No, no, but um, everything. This it's like, I I don't know how or why this movie was a box office failure. I mean, so I'm going to blame it on MTV. Okay. I think this is the time where we had this cut, cut, cut sort of uh, editing style. I think mm -hmm. it was too long. for. I, I, I think it was too long. Okay. Roger Ebert says that the movie is a real mess, an incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. <laughs> okay. I mean, the, uh, that's fair assumption on a, like a completely like base level. Like if you're going to this film and you've never read and you've never seen a science fiction picture, you're mm -hmm. going to be like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. I, I, I think mean, a lot of like people haven't seen 2001. Depth. Sorry. Like the people hadn't read the book 2001. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I think they did like the spice skilled navigators dirty. Like that was, they just did them dirty. That was what the hell. Yeah. And the TV version, they had to cut so much in to make sense, but they didn't, it was just, you know, it, it, it was just paintings and a, an over, you know, a voiceover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I liked about the new one is that they um, they did some they did some they took some really good choices. I mean, starting off with like the the they made the the Sarkar like 
amazingly scary like they're supposed to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's that's another story of Doom we'll talk about another time. <laughs> no, Doom. Yeah, I haven't Doom. seen the new one. I You haven't? I, not, and not for lack of desire. There's so much to be done. I just haven't had a chance to watch it. It's incredibly beautiful. I mean, just like every one of that director's films. It's, it's stunning. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed and it a lot. It's a really good... That he takes like a, a, a he takes an, an interesting uh, take at the story as well mm-hmm. as making sure to, to hit all the points that we need for the story to progress. Mm-hmm. And then things that like in the book how we talk about like uh, uh, Moadib's ability to see beyond and be able to have mm-hmm. uh, the wisest reason and be able to figure out um, then uh, navigate the paths set before him. Those are done in a very um, dreamy way in yeah. the new film. Yeah, I feel like it explains things a little bit better than than just being like, oh right. yeah, that guy has red stuff on his lips. That's how you know he's a mentat. It's, right. And and also the the, the there design, is no juicy Safu. <laughs> yeah. The, the the design in the new Dune I thought was just stunning. It's like I love this Dune. I love David Lynch's Dune. It's such I an amazing film. I love the way the Bene film. Gesserit look. Yeah, they look amazing. Yeah, it's, I it's, mean, but I also think that I really love Dune. Like I really love um, David Lynch's version of the Bene Gesserit. The, oh yeah, yeah. Incredibly high forehead that has a very um, they have a very distinct look that's very separate from all the other um, races and. Um, creatures and whatnot yeah. in the in that in the dune empire it's pretty cool i love i mean you know that's a good film <laughs> so so one thing though i think herbert was ahead of the curve on and we're heading right now yeah it is the you know the the orange bible the first commandment the yeah. war jihad versus the machines you know yeah thou shall not make a, a machine in the image of the human mind yeah. I, now that all this AI stuff is coming up, even, you know, again, Azimov, I think he borrowed from Azimov, but with his robots, I don't think that maybe he hit the fear that we have with this AI like um, Herbert did. And yeah. Herbert did it as sort of a world building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's just this thing that's cast off of like, yeah, there was a period of time when humans got so lazy that robots, thinking machines like took over and made us the slaves and then humans rose up thanks to religion and <laughs> now we can fly through space oh wild <laughs> and who knows what the real story even is <laughs> cuz it's the year 10 something uh, 10 yeah. 10,000 something so yeah and that's that's their ancient history, so it's like who 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 even knows what's true with that? It's yeah. crazy stuff. But yeah, one of my favorite films of all time. If you haven't seen Dune, nineteen eighty four, go and see it. Watch it on on watch it watch it widescreen edition. Yeah. Anyone else? No, I just I agree. Okay. Yeah, I could oh. just reiterate over and over again all the things that are beautiful about this film. Yeah, yeah. I love this film. I love this film. Wow. We could just keep saying how much we love this film. <laughs> um, 
I do. Uh, um, ultimately, I'm going to say that I do love Kyle McLaughlin as um, Paul Atreides and oh, yeah. Muad'Dib. Uh, he is nothing, nothing like the Paul of the story of the book. Oh, no. Because um, that person is a man child. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is a child, essentially, but he's got a he grows up really quickly in the in the book. But the um, we don't get that. um baby sweet baby face innocence that um we that that paul actually has in the story that because he is he is so just sheltered by his by his position and by his parents even though he's been trained he still is very you know um green to yeah, it yeah yeah and and as good of an actor as kyle mclaughlin is you know whether it be dune or showgirls um, right. the, the, the way that the, his, his, uh, progression is shown is he has a more serious face that yeah. has some dirt on it and his hair is messy, but yeah, right. um, they, they, they can't really do that when you only have a few months to film and your actor yeah. can't regress in age, but yeah. Um, so next week, what are we talking about? Does anyone know? I, I think do. I know the movie. The uh, what we're talking about is the Silver Key, uh, some okay. Randolph Carter territory again, yeah. and uh, the movie is Bubba Hotep. This is one of Dave's picks. Nice. Are you telling me that there's some kind of Bubba Hotep sucking the souls out the arses of old people? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> So that's happening next week, everyone. So join us then. And I don't know what the middle part is. We'll figure it out before then. So, yeah, we'll talk to you all later. Have yourselves all a good week. Enjoy the uh, spooky midweek stuff we always throw out, uh, old, old, old uh, radio shows and whatnot. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. That was a good episode. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll give this right over to you, and I'll get you the the mid part probably tomorrow, but no later than Sunday. No problem. No problem. All right. Well, I'll see you all later. Talk to you all then. All All right. right. Bye, guys. Have a good week. You as well. Thanks. Okay.